0: Better do better Hello everybody, my name is Mike And I'm Greg And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at the Eisner-nominated MultiversityComics.com Every week we take about 15 minutes to check out folks hitting the shelves on Wednesday that we're most looking forward to We also have long-form discussions about folks we are excited for both old and new These episodes have included works like Jaime Hernandez's Love Bunglers and Katsuhiro Otomo's epic Akira And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews Some of the people we've had on the show have been Tom Scioli, Paul Pope, Leila Del Duca, and John Workman So that's a lot of content for everybody Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow on iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comics-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. Who did the design on this book?
1: Um, Jacob Covey. It's really nice. And I, uh, first first time I saw it, I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and then I stepped back, put it away, you know, kept looking at it. And I go, it. Oh, I'm going to take a chance and not uh, edit this mm-hmm. one single bit.
0: Yeah. Was this an image that you drew originally or was it just something he cut the they're, they're inside the book. They okay. just cut and paste it. Interesting. I like the, the arty encyclopedia a character a little, in the corner. A little the bottom.
1: Yeah. And, I, and I, I held back on the quotes in the front. I held back and said, I'm going to let you guys do this know, I've just been getting good response hmm. I think my wife was the only one who went like I wouldn't do
2: that but <laughs> oh the <Dominic> quote <laughs> What's it? having the Tomine oh, quote oh just the
1: whole thing right but well, she liked the back cover which Eric Eric colored Eric was all proud of himself
2: oh
0: nice yeah that is nice it's been a while
2: probably since he colored that's uh, Eric Reynolds now yeah but. he's Mr. Publisher now he's fancy uh, got his, his big desk, and <laughs> um, maybe I'll just give some context. Uh, this is because uh, I figured that's perfect thing to start on talking about the cover. Yeah. Right?
1: Um, I forgot I was. Was I talking mess about people? <laughs> we'll, we'll delete that part.
2: <laughs> um, this is InkStuds on the road, and we're talking to Jaime Hernandez, um, whose new book, The Love Bunglers, is actually debuting tonight. At an event we're doing. Of course, this will be posted much later than today, so you should be able to find it in finer comic stores out there. Um, It's kind of exciting to have you here to talk about this book. Coming to LA, I mean, driving down to LA, um, doing interviews with folks, um, one of the things that kept repeating, and I think you saw this on Twitter, is just like the impact that you've had on folks. And everyone kind of
0: had their story about you. It became hilarious that we'd go into an artist's space and it'd be like, Where's the Jaime art? Oh, there it is. Wow. You you picked the right people. We're <laughs> yeah, like, very vertical. careful. Yeah. You you cast a long shadow over the West Coast here. see, cool. when you go to New York, though, none of that. I, but if it isn't you, I
2: wonder who it is. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, this book, especially, it's like. Uh, We've talked a couple of times now. This will be the third time I've interviewed you. Um, Joined by Brandon this time. Last time it was just me and you in a convention center filled with costume people. And the time before that was with uh, Mr. Upton. I'm chaperoning. Yeah, now Brandon's chaperoning me. Um, Colin
1: got me all nervous. That's why in that one I'm kind of backing off on
0: answering and stuff. Was it the accent? (laughs) Did you get the British accent,
1: Colin? Oh I, back in the day, I mean when he was oh, yeah he was hanging around a
2: lot. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Colin. <laughs> this is technology, he won't listen. <laughs> Hi, Colin. <laughs> um this is nothing I wouldn't say to him. Yeah. We actually had an interviewer we in the middle of it, so I was like, Is that accident real? And he had a whole explanation oh he that? Is. It was quite amazing. It's, it's endearing. Yeah. Um but love bugglers. Um it's it's like a conclusion in a way like so much coming together and I'm wondering how much of this story had been kind of going around in your head over the years
1: I would say uh, going around for a long time um, I you know all this continuity was building up and I just thought I would give uh, one me a break my wife a break (laughs) uh, some readers a break and give you an ending give you a and I decided to make it a happy ending, you know. But of course, I got to got torture them on the way. You know, they don't they don't they got to earn that happy ending.
0: Yeah, and even even saying that is a is an interesting spoiler to people reading it because in reading it you don't know where it's going to go. Oops, I just gave it away. I think it's, hey, it's a reprint. Book. It's been <laughs> out for a couple <laughs> of years so. <laughs> so all of your work always is is is, is serialized in the Love and Rockets issues, right? Is that something that... Um, is that I mean, you're, you're certainly not at a point where you can't just release, like, you know, Klaus just puts out books. Yeah, I mean, but, but
1: sometimes, since I got 50 pages an issue now, mm-hmm. it seems like it is, you know? And so when it's collected, I kind of say, why'd you do that? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? But um, I think it's just because of tradition. I mean, every time we finish, eventually... You know, we collect something, put it together, make right. it look, look like a book. Mm-hmm.
2: I remember, I think it's the first time I interviewed you, you made a comment about how your wife would get mad because you're always so mean to Maggie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, and
2: this time I said, well, I'll give her a break. You're, you're building her character. <laughs> Does that kind of make it more impactful in a situation like this?
1: Um. It, it actually helped me write the story, I mean, and, and put things together Um. Where I I knew where I was going with it, where it would, everything would
0: end up. But do you, do you think you're mean to Maggie at all? Because I feel like you're you're mean to people around her, and that affects her. Um.
1: Yeah, maybe. Um, I think mean by uh, I don't give her a break. You know, there's always something that's gonna knock her back a few, a few steps, and. Uh, Sometimes I wonder if that's just me, you know, like controlling my characters and like hee hee hee. What are you gonna do this time? Oh, you think you're getting away with it. Not so, you know, the master of my domain kind of thing. Yeah. You know. But um but uh so I just thought give her a break and and of course now the story I'm doing now is uh, it's like, Oh, I shouldn't have done Love butlers. now and now I gotta change this idea and this and that.
0: Hmm.
2: So is it so definitive in a way it kind of sets like it's kind of like a marker the way kind of Death of Speedy was that like kind of sets what you can do after.
1: Yeah, and it, that's difficult sometimes because after Death of Speedy, um, our, uh, our our fan base started to get more silent, you know, because I was taking a break from serious, really serious, heartbreaking story. And I thought, well, I'll just have fun, you know? This will be cool. And, and I thought... I But I didn't know that uh, a lot of the readers were new readers to Love and Rockets, and they were on a track. They wanted to see more Death of Speedy. They wanted to see the funeral, you know, stuff like that. And I was done with it. I just go, God, move on. I mean, the the next issue, Maggie's at a punk show, not even thinking about it, you know? Yeah. And um, and I, I few few readers got kind of upset with that, like, I thought, I thought this was going to go somewhere. I I thought it did too,
0: you know? It almost feels like your writing style sometimes is to not just show the next event. Like something I'm really impressed about in your, in your storytelling uh, language that you use is how much you're able to jump around and not, uh, you know, you show a scene completely out of context of time, but it's never confusing. Is that something that took a while to learn?
1: yeah, I guess so. Like getting rid of the meanwhiles and and two weeks ago, two mm-hmm. weeks later, or stuff like that. Just little things like that. Um, I just took a chance of getting rid of them, and I. The only people I confused were were like you know relatives who saw my comic for the first time and go, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, well, too bad. bad. The readers do. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Sorry. <laughs> um kind of thinking about, like, you know, if you have these negative impactful things or these heavy... One of the big things about the Maggie's life and the story and the people around Maggie's life um, is it's real time. And, like, you can't really keep doing... You can't keep having tragedy after tragedy in real life.
1: No, that's an, that's another thing. Um, you know, after Death of Speedy, I go, well, no one dies for another ten years, you know. Um... I was trying to think along those lines, you know, that that this is how it would be in real life. And, and like, uh, you know, I say that after every Maggie tragedy, the epic where she walks away sad into the sunset. I think, okay, that's it. You know, she can't, that can't happen to her all the time. And then I get to the next one and it just starts building and it go, starts going in that direction. And sometimes I have to stop and, and go, okay, do I go along with this? You know, do I let it be another, another tragedy or do I, uh, or do I uh, put a spin on it? You know, and, uh, love bunglers. I let it play out. You know, but just, let's go for it. I, I, I purposely turned on the, the faucets all the way and just rained on, on the reader just because I thought after 30 years, why not? You know, I, I've earned this uh, story, you know.
2: Does it being like knowing that it's like thirty years you've been working on this story? Um, did that kind of reevaluate how you're doing the stories at all? You kind of like okay, this is kind of a a mile marker.
1: Yeah, I'm um, mostly it's it's the way it affects it is um, how do we keep it fresh? You know, I mean, I gotta, I have to. Uh, guess like do I please the people who are who are uh, tired of Maggie or do I please the people who want more Maggie? Mm-hmm. You know, and I I just have to guess and go, okay, this time they like Maggie. You know and all <laughs> the people
0: that are tired of Maggie are probably reading the wrong book
1: though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, or or you know like oh another another sob story or another this and that or oh the the emotions are just going crazy, and I go one it's Maggie it's always going to be I have a, actually a new a quote in the new uh, in the new issue not giving anything away but someone very dear to her is talking to someone else and says well you know with Maggie it's always going to be drama. You know, yeah. and, and, uh, I just thought, that's kind of mean for this person to say. And I go, no, this is real life. It's just, you're talking about your friend to somebody else. Is
2: yeah. reading Love Bunglers, um, yeah, it's like the, it's the sort of like drama. It's not her being the drama. It's just, like, her life seems to involve a lot of drama. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, because We have dramatic friends, we all do, yes, and
1: um yeah, and she's the one person who can't keep away from the drama, you know she's always got to either try to help or uh, even if she doesn't want to you know, and she she ain't got she don't have superpowers, and yet she's trying to save the world, kind of thing you
2: know <laughs> <laughs> well uh thinking about superpowers uh. God and science, and the balance that those two books kind of play with each other, because we're completely different directions, and I'm wondering, like, how, like, were you knowing what you are going to do with Love Among Them? like, okay, I just need to, like, have fun before I go here?
1: You mean uh, have fun with, uh...
2: Gods, God's and science.
1: God and science? Yeah, um... I, I realized Gods and science took two years, and I thought, so I uh, haven't had any real Maggie. We well, had the the fake Maggie in *The yeah. modern Science*, but um, I haven't had the real Maggie in the new stories yet. And I was like, oh boy! I was like, this will be fun. You know, um, you know, it's like when when we always uh, change formats. And uh, the first Maggie story I was do, it's so fresh to me. And I'm like creating this new character, even if it's the same old character, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and that's kind of how this was, you know, her Mm -hmm. story starts off with her talking about a dream, sitting in a car. I I thought, this is so fresh. She's sitting in a car. (laughs) (laughs) She sits (laughs) on lots of cars, but it just felt really new and and like, almost like, you know, she just got a haircut and and took a shower, you know, she's clean, ready to go. That's how it felt. You know, and that's how it usually feels when I've been away from her for a long time.
2: The that dream sequence was really interesting because it felt really different for you um, for like drawing that kind of like surreal. Yeah, it like was that. it was a it was
1: a dream I actually had that that in this time in, of my life I still dream but I don't remember, you know, by the time I wake up in the morning, there uh like, oh, that was a good one. It's gone. You know, this one stayed with me. So I said, I'm, I got to do a comic about it. I got to do a little story about it. I was and, talking
0: to, or, sorry to cut you off. Um, I was talking to Robin earlier about um, how it felt to me like in some of your early work, it was much more much more science fiction and fantasy in the characters' lives. And even though you have the superhero stuff showing up every once in a while, it's, it feels like that, the science fiction has almost been replaced by the surrealism that, that feels more like uh, relating to the characters' feelings about the world more. It feels it feels more personal than just, you know, there being a dinosaur in the story. Yeah, sure. Was that yeah. ever a conscious transition?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, when By the time I was finishing the mechanic stuff, if you notice in the story Lost Women, um, I'm creeping in the band stuff. Mm-hmm. The punks at home mm-hmm. stuff and even if there was like three panels of that and then I went back and did a space adventure I was I was really into drawing the the people in the bands and in their little uh, rehearsal space and stuff like that and it was just more exciting to me after a while mm-hmm. and I I just wanted to explore that more and and the rockets were in the way you know right. They, and, uh, you know, it was like, by this time in my life, real life was funner than comics. I and I was like, wait, wait a minute, there's something
2: wrong here. So that was like a time where you were getting way more into the punk scene.
1: Yeah, play. or or I had been, actually I was kind of getting away from it, but just the opportunity of telling the stories that I knew and, and the images and the, the whole energy. So is it more almost open. into
0: your real life than fiction?
1: Yeah, yeah. And um it, it was just a, a whole uh, I had a whole playground of stuff in my in my life that was worth putting putting down mm-hmm. and the rocket ships is like I remember Gilbert back then said something about if we were a science fiction comic we'd be another science fiction comic right he goes
0: but we decided to follow other stuff. To, right. Just you know. rename it Love and the Rockets Are Getting in the Way. <laughs> there you go.
2: <laughs> kind of like that.
0: Um, I really wanted to talk about the frog mouth character in
1: it. Yeah. Oh, I could go dazed. Yeah. It I, something
0: something I really like about your work and in, in the later work is that the beginning there was a lot of you drawing uh, cute girls because... It's like you you servicing your like love of drawing cute girls. And they also had exciting personalities and everything. And we get into the later stuff and it's it almost feels like a trick that you're able to put into this almost like cheesecake art and not make it feel not diminish the personality and the characters of the work. But still, you know, I, I just as you know, as an artist myself where I'm sitting around giggling, drawing naked ladies I feel a little bit of that in the work still. And, and that character felt like a, a way to introduce this really interesting character. And, and when you describe her her voice, you know, or I forget how you describe something like a, you know, it's like a train wreck when she opens her mouth or something.
1: Three sailors fell out. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and how, how great that is to kind of contrast the character and make it an interesting character and not just have it be a cheesecake. Is that, is that something you consciously yeah.
1: think about? Yeah, I, I consciously did it. With her character, because I didn't want another Penny Century.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In but in a way, she was the new Penny Century. She was right. replacing the bombshell. When Penny leaves, I put I bring a new bombshell in, just okay. just so I could draw
0: uh-huh.
1: a curvy woman, um, and I try to give them different personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, the frog mouth was in the back of my head for a long time. Like I want to create this character. She, she's Loosely based on different things I've seen in movies and even TV and right. stuff like that, okay. and I was just like Couldn't wait to do her yet. She needed something, mm-hmm. you know, okay it, it, I I already wanted her to be kind of a trashy loser But I thought what'll well, make her endearing? Mm-hmm. you know? and when the voice thing
2: came that was like yes, okay, I'm ready to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's an interesting, um, having that voice component to it is interesting because it's not something I necessarily think of a lot in comics where you don't think of what the sound is of how someone sounds, but you make sure that a really important part of that person.
1: Yeah. I uh, People have asked me, what does the frog sound like? And I go, I said, it's up to you. Think of the worst. Voice someone could ever have. I just it could be it high Google, and screechy, yeah. it could be low and gravelly. Uh-huh. It could be kind of like this. You know, and I don't know myself because I've gone back and forth of mm-hmm. how she sounds, but I just thought, no, let the reader deal with that. If she was ever in a movie, God, that'd be hard. You know, <laughs> right. just trying to get it right. You know, that 11 Rockets movie that's right get. about to come out next year. <laughs> yeah, 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 that one.
0: Uh-huh. But, uh, but it's great how you show it visually because you'll have. You'll have a, a dialogueless scene of her walking up to a, another character, kind of in the distance, and is having a polite conversation. And a second later, getting punched in the face, and that really—it's like, ah, oh, that's that's what she sounds like. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she's um, she's fun. So I'm, I'm I'm beginning to forget about her voice now. Mm-hmm. Though, the when I write her, and so every once in a while, I have to make somebody call her a name. You know, yeah, that,
0: just to remind myself. No, in my head she's just Frogmouth, and they mention her in the story. I'm like, oh, she has a real name. <laughs> oh, something else I was really interested about is how. Um, I remember years ago when I was a teenager still, running into so many, so many queer people that were that were into your work, and stuff, like such a like, you know, if lesbians I knew had comics, they had your comics. You know, <laughs> is that something you think about very much? Is is how much, you know, like Hopi specifically is kind of a, you know, she's one of the most loved lesbian characters out there.
1: Yeah, and yeah, I think about it a lot because um, that's something I've never experienced firsthand. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I was a punk rocker, I was a low rider, I was, a, you know, I'm a guy, I'm this and that, and, and there are certain things I have to guess. You know, or or observe, you know, in people I know, stuff like that. And, and um, gay and lesbian uh, characters can be dangerous because it so, can be so specific of what they say is the wrong thing. You know, the, you can use the wrong word once and, mm-hmm. and get activists after you, things like that. And while I try not to worry about that, I still think about that. I still think, like... I'm crossing lines here and, and uh and I know it and it's not my intention to make that character a troublemaker, yeah. say, so, you know. And and But also so, it's Hopi, so Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with C see, see and with uh Hopi I can go out of bounds sometimes with what she says mm. and you go, Oh, Hopi. Oh, you're, you're right. such a bad girl <laughs> you, know, you know, i I was just writing uh Okay, I'm giving it away, but I was just writing this morning uh, a flashback because I wanted to show uh, old Maggie and Hopi together, mm-hmm. and and I have to make Hopi talk rude, and it's weird for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's weird. I mean, I look at the old issues and I go, "She's out of line right there," <laughs> you know? and and I've just gotten so old, and, and and it's I guess it's not called PC anymore but PC you know yeah and aware yes and um, just hearing her talk it's like oh that character I would never have her in my house (laughs) but but, uh, I have to write her that way and I go oh she's you know I'm wondering if the characters will I mean the characters the uh, readers will say you know like oh that's just Hopi or what if they just like They've forgotten how she is as well. And, like, why is he making her an asshole? Well, she was an
0: asshole. <laughs> but always with charm. I think that's kind of how she well, got I, away with it, both of the readers and in the world. Yeah, I, I,
1: I hope that, that
2: works. <laughs> <laughs> it's neat to see how um, resolved she is in a way. Like, I don't know if resolved is the right word, but just, like, where she's come to with time and how I feel like there's so much about that character that you know... Um, that's not going to be said, um, but just like that, that makes her this full person that she is.
1: Yeah, her her a lot less than Maggie, though, because uh, Hopi purposely is uh, is uh, an enigma in a way. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I don't give her thought balloons. I did in the early comic, then I thought, no, with a character like her, she should never have thought balloons. So mm-hmm. I took them away. Opie is always what you see—her expression or what she says—and that's that's what you get out of her. Because uh, because in a way, uh, women I've known like her are are enigmas as well. Like does this person go home and drink coffee at their kitchen table and and then take a bath and go to bed like other people? You know, and it it's, and yes, of course they do, but but. A fireball like Hopi is like, like, I've I've never lived with a fireball, at their fireball years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know I, I, my my wife was a fireball in her teenage years. Now she's a very uh, conscious, aware woman, as you said. Yeah. And uh, it's just funny sometimes talking to her. I just remember that flailing that cigarette and just the worst cuss words coming out of her mouth and and it was just uh, and it's funny that the the change you know so so I help uh, she helps write Hopi you know just just by remembering who she was and who she is now you know I can kind of figure
0: Hopi out more Is your family fairly involved in your work? Like do they all read it as you make it or I think they do <laughs> you know I, I come from a family
1: a large bunch of kids and uh, and one way we stayed uh, how we all stayed friends was that we le- left each other alone with certain certain uh, what however we lived our lives yeah, like yeah. Uh, you know Gilbert and I are artists my my, uh, our siblings rarely talk to us about it. They'll talk to Gilbert about my work maybe. Mm-hmm. They'll talk about Gilbert's work to me. But you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just something that, that we just kind of, uh, don't want to step on each other's toes kind of thing. You know, I just, I just, I like them as they are. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to uh, change them yeah. in any way.
0: So. But I remember reading also that your, uh, your family is very, you're all kind of raised on comics. Mm-hmm. And uh, is that something that you think about, do you have kids? Yeah, I have a stepdaughter. Is that something that, you, that goes into your relationship with her at all? Uh, for a while there. Now, right
1: now she's not reading anything. She was, you know, she read Little Lulu, uh, Yotsuba, um, uh, Nancy, she loved Nancy. Hmm. You know, she loved Little Lulu, but when she saw Nancy, it like, was that. <laughs> oh my God! I've this is untreaded waters. I'm what am I doing here? You Which one is It's a one of the one of the manga. One of the manga. I have
0: no <laughs> idea. <laughs> yeah, because i think that's I it, mean, that's what teenage girls read now is manga.
1: Yeah, and that's the only one she chose mm-hmm. as that she liked. She she read a couple others because friends turned her to them, but then she just kind of lost interest. Hmm. Um, uh, I'm trying to think what else she's read. Mainly Little Lulu and Nancy, and uh, and she got she was interested in uh, reading my stuff, mm-hmm. and I was like,
2: oh boy, oh boy,
1: <laughs> she wants to read my stuff. <laughs> and yeah, like, she's fifteen, and she's on the borderline of, do I let her read this stuff yeah. yet? Yeah. You know, I let her read when I finished uh, Brown Town. I let her read up to page 16 because 17 started with naked boys. <laughs> but the the first 16 pages is just Maggie growing up kind uh-huh. of thing. And she was into
0: it. My little sister had no interest in comics until very recently, and she just turned 17. So maybe See, those hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it hope?
1: Well, I'm just, I'm <laughs> I'm just, I'm just hoping um, that it hasn't gone away. I mean, right now my daughter's
0: just not reading comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah you know she she was for a while a few years ago I think it's also changing who reads comics you know and you know on some level I think that I mean it's interesting how the stigma of comics being an uncool thing just doesn't really need to exist anymore and you have people like you and your brother and Paul Pope doing these like comics that could be uh, you know they almost feel like they're being made with the same uh, confidence as, as you know music which is nice Thank you. I didn't know
1: if that was a question. Well,
0: I I'm not even asking <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I did <laughs> Just throwing compliments at you
2: now. Um, you're just talking about being aware and kind of knowing what you're writing. And Browntown is a very heavy subject, um, talking about child abuse, sexual child abuse. Um, sorry if I'm ruining it for everyone. Uh, I think it's been pretty well documented online, people have talked about it. Um, covering that like being aware of what you are saying and stuff what was the challenge for that um
1: uh, hard to say because you know putting it doing the actual story was because I had a story meaning if I just said I want to do one about Child abuse, uh, sexual child abuse. Um, I would sit there forever going, How do I write that? What do I do? Um, I had the ideas and it just fell into the story. Um, I can't, you know, I can't work like pick a subject and then I'm going to explore, you know, the dawning of the railroad age. You know, (laughs) I don't work that that way. If I do a story and they end up on a train, that's different. You know, it's just, that's how I, I always work.
0: Is uh, it always characters at the core and kind of where?
1: Yeah, because uh, I'm not an idea man. The, car- the characters write a lot of the story for hmm. me. You know, I, uh, in fact, the new issue takes place on a train because they had to get from one point to, <laughs> to the next I and I didn't want him to drive you know it was as simple, simple as that um, There's enough Maggie in a car <laughs> yeah I, I, man I could t- <laughs> speaking of uh, drawing cars I, I cannot stand to draw cars yet every single issue my characters are in a car going somewhere and I don't know
0: why that is. it can't be just because I'm a Southern California guy I mean it can't hurt though I mean there's me and Robin were out at a comic store, and they told us to go. They're like, "Oh, there's this place, but oh, you don't want to walk there. You got to drive." And we're like, "How far away is it?" And they're like, "Oh, it's like a mile." And it's like it's 20, <laughs> twenty. It'll take you twenty minutes to walk there. I'm like, "That's don't walk. We're not guys who have cars, so all we do is walk." Yeah.
1: Yeah, but still, I, even I would walk. I mean,
2: <laughs> duh. <laughs> it is very surreal being in LA and just no one. But it's a car But there's
0: that yeah. weird thing too. Like I always put fight scenes in my in my work, or at least my first drafts have fight scenes, and then and I hate drawing them. I don't know why they're in there, but I think it's because I grew up reading Conan comics and heavy metal and that's the language I was taught. So maybe sure. there's something about um you know, all the cars in the comics and or yeah, movies or whatever.
1: I, I I'm the thing that I'm trying to figure out is why do I always make the characters going somewhere? Uh-huh. They always have to Start somewhere and then go somewhere.
0: Wasn't that more fun to draw than just four corners in a room?
1: Yeah, but I think I used to be more clever with the meanwhiles and the, <laughs> <laughs> you know later you know they're already there. I just have them in that damn car. Oh well.
2: Um. <laughs> oh no! Don't do that. Um. How um. 30 years, um, age, and the characters are aging. How has kind of aging with the characters changed how you've seen the characters?
1: Um, It's actually the easy part, because I just look at where I am in my life and I can pick where the characters are, kind of. Um, I remember when Maggie turned around 40, it was hard to draw because with the few lines, you can put too many lines, make her look sixty, mm-hmm. or take out the lines; she looks twenty. You know that that in between was kind of tricky to uh, do, and now I just say, screw it, give her bags, give her cheek.
0: <laughs> also, I wonder if it's <laughs> difficult because if you're looking at, you know, some of the comics that seem to be your influence, you know, I mean, uh, like Hank Ketchum didn't really draw old people that weren't, um, you know, like Dennis the Menace's neighbor. Yeah, you know, it's like they were just who was never not a bald old man.
1: Right, right, yeah, Mr. Wilson. Yeah, uh, Mr. Wilson probably wasn't that old, but I thought he was really old.
0: Mm-hmm. In the late teens. <laughs> <laughs> are there are there comics that you grew up with that you continuously go back to? Um. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would say um, I
1: look at the at Dennis the Menace comics uh, a lot of Archie, but just for the fun of it, you mm-hmm. know, and. And some of them I've just looked at over and over again that it's just going back to an old friend kind of thing right I uh, I rarely go back for for inspiration other than comics are fun it's getting me off my ass Uh, but as far as like reference
0: or you know have you ever been contacted by the Archie people yeah and asked to do covers or whatnot yeah and I I snoozed, you know, I just said,
1: Okay, one of these days. And
0: yeah. I, I never did. Well it seems like in a weird way it's like especially the early work almost feels like post Archie. You know, it's like Sure, where do they go next?
1: Sure. And um and I see the new Archie comics and they're like uh they're like up to date and like Jughead's kind of a cool uh
0: Yeah, cool wants to see that slacker <laughs> slacker
1: guy and he's and it wasn't the Jughead I knew You know, mm-hmm. Jughead was a weirdo and uh,
0: and it messes with time when you know when Spider-Man went to high school in the 50s and now he's the World Trade Center is hit by airplanes and he's 31 and you're like how does that work yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: And, and the Fantastic Four raising a kid I mean how old how old is he by now
0: you know? he's a he's a 35 year old toddler
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly so yeah you know, and uh but yeah Archie Archie uh when when they asked me I was like hey that might be fun and I thought oh they don't even look like them anymore to me. I mean you mm-hmm. only know it's Betty and Veronica because one has black hair and one has blonde hair.
0: Mm-hmm. There's this horrible Alex Ross cover recently where he drew them realistically. Oh, like how they, it looked like Archie's head was in a was in a waffle maker.
1: I saw, I saw that and then uh he thought he'd be clever by making uh, Betty and Veronica uh doing the Betty and Veronica right, looking, like, face, like, screeching faces harbys. like that's what the the artist was doing originally. Uh-huh. They were just smiling they weren't doing that big grinning skull thing that he did <laughs> yeah. you know? and I could just tell I was like, hey, I'm going to be clever and I'm going to do this, this is how Betty and Veronica actually look <laughs> It's like, oh
2: my god it's kind of missing the original intention with,
1: or, or the way, I guess just the way
2: I would approach yeah. it you know it's
1: like that's not what I'm thinking of it's like it's like I'm going to do the bizarre world and and I'm going to do show how the people live on the corners um. of it it's just not how I think of it you know that's not the first thing I would think of mm-hmm. like no it's the bizarre world you got the bizarre world there it is I it's some things I like to leave well enough alone, you know. Uh, Archie's been done. The Archie's uh, golden age is gone, so it's fine for a new new readers, young kids, and stuff, the new stuff. But for me, it's like, uh, no, I had I had my time. Yeah. With Archie, you know, uh, I had my time with the Bizarros. <laughs> I got to talk about the Bizarros in this interview.
0: <laughs> yeah. You mean like the cube faced Superman guys? Yeah. Yeah, I used to love getting... Uh, oh yeah, me and Em remember those, forget. Get, I, I, writing the Bizarro dialogue must be the logic. I know they didn't care about the logic
1: with that stuff. but, yeah, but you read those stories and those guys, they still took care in writing those, constructing those stories. they were definitely good. having fun, which, yeah. which is nice. Yeah, and it, they're still my favorites, you know, but they did, do Bizarro now and I don't care. I mean... Yeah. Uh, Bizarro had his time.
0: Right. And also just the, the idea of it existing in a world where Superman's head could be a lion because he got near the wrong kryptonite is very different than the kind of post-80s um, serious everyone's got AIDS and locked in lockdown, a refrigerator superhero comics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't know, know what comics you're reading, Brandon. No, not thought those them up in your head. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, you did that and you also did the um, Captain Marvel family oh yeah with Evan Dorkin yeah um, and you also did that Alan Moore story of the what's her name it's Tom Strong's daughter yeah having yeah. fun in space um, but it seems less and less that you're going to do work that's not your own except you did that
0: illustrations for a
2: novel recently I can't
0: remember oh yeah yeah I did for that uh, Juno Diaz book do you, do you do stuff in the New Yorker sometimes, don't you?
1: I used to. Yeah, okay. they stopped calling.
0: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Oh. <laughs> Hernandez has had his time. <laughs> I had my time. <laughs> now back to the boring enough. stuff.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, are you at a point now where, like, you balance, like, you you know you need to focus on your own personal work and don't want to take on?
1: No, I would love to take something else on. Um, I don't want to write anything.
2: Yeah.
1: I would love to draw somebody's story, but I know the first thing I would do when I saw that script was, I don't want to draw that. <laughs> <laughs> I know me, but um, there, yeah, there... sometimes I'm just like, I don't want to write anything. I just want to draw something. I want to draw something, of course, in my head, I'm, I want to draw what I want to draw. Yeah, but,
0: I, I know that so. feeling there's that, uh, I was talking to Simon Roy about that earlier day, our a friend who's staying here who I work on a comic with and um, just about how sometimes it's like we were meeting all these animators yesterday and they were talking about they're putting all their artistic feelings into the show they work on so they don't feel like they need to draw comics when they go home but for me and him we were talking about how sometimes you just want to do the craft you just want to make lines and make them pretty and it's nice to not have to stress out about what those lines are and just have somebody you know, say you know, like the Alan Moore story just draw a girl going to a party yeah Um, have you read any work that you felt like you'd like to or any comics that you think you'd have a blast drawing
1: Mm, not yet or
2: novels or anything
1: (laughs) oh no adapting something no I I did when I was younger you know Mm -hmm. like like, uh, let's say the story of Mice and Men Mm -hmm. it's one of my favorite stories never read the book Just seen all the movies. (laughs) But it's just something, it's just a story I love. I mean, it's just what I just love everything about it, every character, every person's role in it. Um, And I used to think, oh man, what a a Mice and Men comic I would draw. (laughs) Now I don't care, (laughs) you know. Gee, I don't know what I would want to draw. Girls. <laughs>
0: that's like, it. All right. Isn't that? I think that's a recent image comic. It's called Girls. It's about women that hatch out of eggs and seduce human men. Of course, it that is. sounds like one of your brother's comics. actually. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: I totally like. I had something, and then it popped out of my head.
0: You want to take a break, Robin? We're around. No, the well, I
2: had, to, I, I had to, like something specific I was going to say. Um, and then it was like, like, oh, this followed follow up to that.
1: What was it, Robin? Thank God. You mean take over a Marvel DC
2: character? Is that it? No. Oh, darn. No.
0: Do you have a character you'd like? No. I'm sure you've been. Well, you used to do that in your old sketchbooks all the time, right? Just do your own versions.
1: Yeah, and I used to do it, and really early on before it got popular, um, I used to, you know, draw women in the men's, men's
0: comics. Oh, yeah, and that's yeah. how uh, Frank Miller got the idea for his Carrie Kelly, right? Yeah. yeah. it's a really interesting way to influence something that influenced so much. And that was a really early drawing of yours, wasn't it? Uh, the, the Robin drawing in the journal? Yeah,
1: yeah, that was uh, when uh, when we were sending drawings to comic journal. To break in. That was before Love and Rockets. Oh, yeah. About the time it started,
0: yeah. Was it? Were you aware of that when Dark Knight was coming out?
1: <clears throat> what did they did that? Yeah. I remember going like, ah, they
0: did a girl Robin. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I
1: didn't think of anything, and then no. I, heard, I heard Miller cop to it, and I thought, oh, it's, I'm flattered. And then, and then I heard that uh, for Watchmen, they they borrowed the. Uh, the panel layout from 100 rooms.
0: Oh, interesting. Really?
1: So, let's see. The two biggest comics in the 80s. Uh... Mm, yeah. <laughs> I'm going
0: to show up and demand a check.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can start her before Love and Rockets comic. Oh, good. <laughs> let's get the end of on the phone. Oh, God. Oh, God. Um, you are talking earlier about um, the writing being the challenge... Um, is that kind of one of the things that holds you back from producing more? I would
1: say so because like I said, I'm not an idea guy. I can't I can't write from a concept uh, or, or I should say rarely I mean yeah. and I, like Gilbert can create whole series you know a year <laughs> year after year. Um, that's hard for me you know I, I can't um, I, I count on the characters to guide me a lot. Have you ever drawn a story he's written? The Gilbert? I used to redraw his comics as a kid from when we were kids. I used to like to, uh, you know, remake <laughs> stories he did. I remember there was one uh, he did about two guys on Mars and they see an alien or something like that. And, and what you don't know is... is One of the guys is Trent, the Martian, took over his body, and they go back to Earth, and Gilbert had this whole, like, two pages of these two guys sitting in a room talking, and they're basically saying, remember when we were on Mars, and there was that loathsome being? Well, and basically goes, it was me, you know, that kind of thing. But I just remember just being so excited that Gilbert had these two guys just sitting in the room talking and just like and so I wanted to redraw it and I redrew it when I was a teenager and I just remember getting into it like the guy lighting his cigarette and, and you know if you if you see it, it's very crude but but I was just really into that whole body language thing I didn't know it at the time I just was just really excited about two guys not doing anything but sitting there yeah. talking and I think that's where my comics started. Was about that time where I, I was just like amazed by by uh, characters in a comics panel standing there talking. No, no, yeah. they're not going anywhere or, or anything, and they're just standing there talking like adults. I would just, after a while, cert, well, certain artists could pull it off. I would just just like stare at it, and like that is so cool. And that's a big part of what you do now. Yeah, and and it was unconscious at first till now I look back and now it's more conscious of like, okay, in this part of the story there's no action, so this will just be in the room of these two people talking, stuff like that. But at the time I didn't know why. It was just normal. You know, there was a Dennis the Menace comic where, where uh, Dennis... The whole story, Dennis is trying to fool his mom that he's sick. He can't go to school. And he says, I broke my arm. She gives him a sling. She, you know, oh, I, I dropped my lunch. She goes, oh, the sandwich is wrecked. It's still good. This and that. And it's this whole thing until he finally gives up. And he's walking out to the bus, the bus stop. And he's mad. And his little friend Joey meets him, meets him out front. And he goes, Gee, Dennis, what happened? He goes, "Oh, I broke my arm, and but I still got to go to school." Blah blah, and they're walking, and this is what, six panels at the most. Yet I just remember reading the panel, oh, the page over and over again, because there was just this dialogue between two kids about nothing really, just but it was carrying them forward, yeah. and I just remember this was about. I was just out of high school, and and I started to look at that stuff consciously, like, like scenes like that, just like, I just love it, there's being people, and just being so excited, and then getting into uh, dialogue, back and forth dialogue, I started to, to like, and I don't know where that came from, but I remember um, reading... Uh, you know, Alice in Wonderland, and just looking for the the conversations yeah. between her and the Caterpillar, and just that back and forth thing, and just being so into it, and uh, not knowing why, just doing it and wanting to do it in my comics, and, and of course, it took me a while, I was like, I would like, try it, and... They're not talking about anything. I have got nothing. I've got no life experience <laughs> for them to talk about anything, you know. And then that came later, where I had to work that out. But, but uh, that was just really. That was the only time I remember, you know, a light going off. You know, all the other times it was just an unconscious thing. Like I learned to draw from comics, how to move, make comics move, and stuff like that. But that was the one time where I just was like bing, this is what I want. And and for many years, I forgot it. It came back to me eventually. People used to, in early interviews, I would just go, I don't know, just do it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then as the years passed, I just started thinking, oh yeah, remember when I did that, oh yeah, yeah. Just, and it started to make sense, like, oh, that's why I do comics this way, duh. <laughs>
2: Um, one of the things in your comics I was thinking about I um, was reading Love Bunglers and Brandon was reading um, which one is it the, the green one Esperanza I read the green one um, and like seeing the party scenes and just kind of the role of these like parties where you play with all these different conversations and all these people and just seeing those dy- dynamics play out is that something yeah. for yourself when you're um, you kind of see them like create these parties as kind of triggers for things?
1: Um, yeah, maybe. It was mostly because of parties fun. Uh, I mean, I I wanted all kinds of weird characters. Uh, you know, aliens and barbarians <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and movie starlets all interacting just because it was just a, something fun to draw. Um, and then I remember someone goes, Heimer like Hyman draws the funnest parties. I was like, Oh, cool. And now I don't do them anymore.
0: <laughs> well, do you, do you enjoy going to parties yourself?
1: If they're not mine. If they're not for, <laughs> if they're not for me.
0: Meaning, I like to observe. You know. I'm wondering if you... Uh, was there a point where you, you felt like you worked on your dialogue and made it something where you actively listened to people around you and as part of your work, or was it...?
1: No, it was more... Yeah. Um, it was more what they were talking about because Mm -hmm. I knew that a lot of my dialogue was just silly silly back and forth but they weren't really talking about anything I had to consciously think about what the subject was (laughs) and uh, and, I mean I can I can start writing a dialogue between uh, Maggie and Hopi and it goes on forever and I keep maybe a third of it really for the comic because it's just that back and forth the contradicting each other uh, uh, changing the subject on each other and why did you change the subject uh, you know oh here's something to talk about you know stuff like that I could do that I could go on pages and pages but I only have so much room you know and, and there's
0: so much of that comfort in there the characters um you know, like, rhyming off each other and just joking with each other and, and, and having their own, you know, stupid nicknames for things, which is interesting.
1: Yeah, and that's the, that's the fun part, you know. It's uh, putting, putting it... putting it in there for everybody's consumption is, is the responsible part, <laughs> you know.
2: Um, the kind of counter... like, talking about the conversations and the people... Um, one of the big things in love monglers is the opposite it's the quietness and um the no dialogue parts and um and that book especially I find it really evocative
1: well thank you I um those those can be harder to write because they because they have to speak volumes without speaking yeah <laughs> you know and uh so, uh, a lot of times, those, those, I fall into those scenes, I don't want to say by accident, but just how the story is going. Uh-huh. Where um, there's been times where I've, where I, this, the, the scene, the silent scene used to have dialogue. And then I realized, I don't have to have any dialogue here. This works just fine. And then maybe I'll tweak something. Just to make it make more sense, you know, without the words, but, but um, sometimes it's like, yeah. you know, why why are they saying anything? The, you don't need to know this. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's useless. So, that's why uh, some of the silent scenes turn out the way they do. Do you have people that you bounce your work off of before before it sees print? Um, lately. Lately my wife I didn't used to talk about it to her, but now it's become a thing where we go to dinner, out to dinner, just me and her and I just start rambling uh-huh. about it. And I don't mean to. I don't wanna I don't wanna take over the conversation, but I start doing it and I found out she started to enjoy it. Hmm. Uh, she likes when I talk about Maggie and Hopi in the story. She doesn't like when I talk about the frog mouth <laughs> <laughs> But, um but, uh, And then there's Gilbert, who, uh, like I was talking about, her family, uh, Gilbert and I will have a conversation about something totally unrelated, yet it helps the trouble I had with a certain story. Mm-hmm. You know, He's not going to say, why don't you have him say this, or why don't you have him say that? Or maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you should do this. There's very little of that, you know, but it's just that brother connection thing that that he could ta- be talking about pizza. and mm-hmm. go, The universe. We, <laughs> we got it.
0: The universe is in that pizza. Yes. That's a good pizza. <laughs> reading, reading the end of, of, uh, of Love Bungers, where it jumps ahead and you get to see a slightly older Maggie and Hopi. I kept thinking of the the Mobius and Dennis cycle books where... The two characters start off as sexless Tin Tintin characters, and one of them becomes a one male, and one of them becomes female. In the way that Maggie and Hopi e were both very similar, kind of drawn teenage girls at the beginning, and then, and and here at the end of the book, where, you know, they they're, they've really grown physically into their personalities, which is interesting. I don't even have questions anymore. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it, really it's it's
1: just uh, the way it turns out, you know. I never know I rarely have a plan of what they're going to do yeah. what or how they're going to look or I mean every uh, I I have sketchbooks but I rarely will do Maggie and Hopi sketches or, or the characters hmm. only when I want a new haircut like oh my god five years have passed Maggie needs a new
0: haircut do you get some good rejected haircuts then
1: I, yeah, and then sometimes I do haircuts where I go, oh, this looks too much like uh, the times from uh, Ghost of Hoppers. I don't want them to think this is a flashback.
0: Uh, yeah, that's really. got to be difficult.
1: Yeah, um, especially because she's gone through a lot of haircuts, and mm-hmm. and Ray just keeps losing hair, so uh, he's easy.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, Ray. reading this, I always thought that Ray was the most the most of the stand in for you in the story I don't know if that's accurate at all
1: you know I used to think that too I mean or he was originally supposed to be Mm -hmm. I said okay he's going to have all the thoughts I can't give Maggie Mm -hmm. Um, I started to do that and then after a while I realized I start when I was writing him he's not me at all Mm -hmm. I mean there's probably very unconscious similarities because I'm writing it but but I find his life and my life don't coincide much the way the way I guess the way events turn out right I mean yes the way we handle things we're both pretty slow moving (laughs) guys but um, but uh, he has become his own character more than he is me he's uh, when when I write a story Ray's not exactly uh, going where I'm going Mm-hmm. You know, it's I'm I'm seeing him as a separate person now. When in the beginning it was kind of like, like okay, what would I do in this situation? Okay, yeah, race. I
0: can it. see how that could go down a weird fan fiction rabbit hole if you stuck to just it being what you would do in every story. Yeah, sure. Or are you turn to <laughs> <the> rand <laughs> race and just start punching out people?
1: And it, it would be the most boring comic <laughs> in the world. <laughs> <laughs>
2: now, this issue, he sits and draws. Uh-huh
1: see that was another thing that separated us I had to think of Ray as me if I never got into comics and like I never found my thing Yeah, and that's basically what he turned into that's why he's growing apart from me because uh, I don't know if anyone's noticed but I usually uh, when a person becomes successful I usually write them out for a while Hmm. till I have Something for them to do. Mm-hmm. I wrote Terry out because she became a successful musician, or marginally successful hmm. musician. Um, I had no uh,
0: no uh, real uh, angst, for right? Her. But I guess then this character, like like Penny, who showed up successful.
1: Well, Penny's you know just. A She's curves. Uh-huh. <laughs> You've heard of lines on paper. She's curves on paper. <laughs> and and so she works that way. Where Penny can, uh, Penny has no rules. You know, mm-hmm. kind of like the frog mouth, but Penny even more than the frog mouth. Um, Penny's not tied to Earth. Like, yeah, frog mouth is t- is on Earth and has to accept that she's on Earth. Pe- with Penny, she doesn't. Have to, uh, I don't have to think about that at all. Mm -hmm. You know, if she shows up, I don't care how she showed up. If Maggie showed up, I'd go, oh, did she take the bus? Did she drive that damn car? Right. You know, but Penny, she shows up, I don't even have to.
2: Is that part of the challenge that Frogmoth has? Is that she wants more, but you won't give it to her? She's.
1: Um. The only, ch- the only challenge with the frogmouth is that is to keep her from being from being a main character. She's not going to work if I go into her head. Mm-hmm. She's, uh, and she's not meant to. Um, a little different from how Hopi is. Hopi can be a main character, yet you don't have to hear what she's thinking. Frogmouth does not work when I need to sh- give her a conscience. Yeah, and I don't think that makes her a lesser character, lesser personality. It's just, it's just somebody who is uh, more spontaneous and more uh, uh, funner to write because I got nothing holding me back. You know, even
2: if she is trapped on Earth. Mm -hmm. Do you? um... As you're introducing new characters that are from their past, are these one characters that you've kind of come up recently, or have they've always kind of been there, and you're just finding a way, the right time to bring them in? Mm,
1: I guess waiting for the right time. Like I said, the frog mouth that took a while. Yeah. Ray took a while to do because I wanted to, I wanted him to last, and I wanted him to look, not like. Other male characters I did, yeah. and I so and I wanted to be able to to be comfortable, excuse me, drawing him for a long time, and so his design took a while. I remember early early versions it's like he's got he's got like a little uh, curly-haired afro going there, you know, or or he's he's got a beard, or you know, and I just kept going back and forth till I. Uh, Till I remembered uh, a couple of people in my life that I kind of combined to make him. You know. Um, so yeah, yeah. Some some people. Uh, it's like I've got this. I've got this personality tra- trait that I want to put in some in somebody a new. But I I wanted a new character. I don't want to put it in one of the older ones because mm-hmm. the older ones are already established and and so yeah it'll it, sometimes i'm just waiting for that moment to strike and that's how say ray and the frogmouth came about they were planned like the other ones just kind of evolved as i as i started them in the from the very first issue you know it was easier then because i had nothing to fall back on i had no no past of of like, <laughs> you know, well, oh, I've had six blonde characters. I can't have another <laughs> blonde character. I mean, it was all new and fresh, and just I just stole everything from my past to put, throw down there.
0: Hmm. Do you do you ever find that uh, the stories, characters, personalities get led by characters who who you might have used to base them off of? Do they? I have a lot of friends from my childhood who just shot off in directions that I could never have planned. You know, mm. where you're like, oh, this is this is a fun kid I played Dungeons Dragons with and now they're a stripper and now they're mentally ill. And, you right. <laughs>
1: right. Um, hmm. What do you think? Um, sometimes, sometimes I'll take, I'll steal mm-hmm. from a, a friend's life story, but sometimes I won't. There was a, there's a one or two things I've done in the, Comic that I had for a long time—a great story. Oh, this would be perfect for this character. Yet I wanted to protect the friend that happened to mm-hmm. you yeah. know till till years pass and I go, oh fuck it, I'm just gonna do it anyway. <laughs> right. the, yeah.
0: the 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 the, uh, the real life situation is now gone in public domain. Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> um, I think we're at like a good conclusion point. Thank you, I. Mean, for taking the time to come and chat with us. The Thank new, you. The new book is The Love Bunglers from those fine folks at Fantagraphics. Is that being too nice to them? <laughs> <laughs> those jerk faces. <laughs> yeah. Um, as well as the whole series of Love and Rocket books, um, also available from them. Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: It's been so long now, and it seems that it was only yesterday. Ain't it funny how time slips away? How's your new? could love him till the end of time Now that's the same thing that you told me Seems like just the other day I'll see you around Don't know when though Never know when I'll be back in town But I remember What I
0: told you That in time You're gonna pay.
2: time